Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hey, yo, baby, come over here. Let me, let me holler at you for a minute. I am your conscience. Nah, nah, I'm saying for real. Come over here, nah, for real. Let me, let me holler at you for real. No, no bullshit. I am making a total ass of myself. Fuck it, alright. I am making right, Hey, check it out. Hey, uh, you wanna go to Waffle House? Get some food? I just did another pickup line that didn't go well. No, what the fuck you mean? No, I'm saying, yo, I'm. Alright. Maybe I should tell them what a famous rapper yeah. I am. Yeah. That'll get her on my. Good morning, everybody out there. This is uh, Gus. Thank you for tuning in to the Cows Saturday morning. Uh, Mr. Robert Jensen, already called in, is on the line. We are ready to roll. Mr. Jensen, are you there? Yes, sir. Right on. Oh, let me uh, clarify really quick. Uh, would you prefer me to uh, reference you as uh, Dr. Jensen, Professor Jensen, uh, Mr. Jensen? Uh... Uh, I think the Lord Reverend Most Exalted Jensen would be appropriate, <laughs> but in the absence of that, why don't you just call me Bob? I can deal with Bob. I can okay. deal with Bob. Thank you so much for uh, spending some of your Saturday uh, with us. I know you've got tons of things on uh, on your agenda. You could be watching basketball or doing other things, but I appreciate you for uh, taking out some time to us. Uh, hey, wait, there's a basketball game on? Then I'm hanging up, dude. <laughs> Yeah, I, I know uh, a lot of our uh, listeners, uh, we're in Pac-10 country out here, so they uh, are ready to go watch the uh, Huskies uh, play later on today. So we're going to try and be constructive, and then we can okay. all have fun and uh, watch the brackets develop. Great. Uh, Groovy, this show is uh, exclusively dedicated to focusing on uh, racism, white supremacy, uh, in an effort to uh, get constructive information on what it is and how it works. Uh, so that we can establish a system of justice. Um, when I say racism, white supremacy, I mean a uh, global system uh, designed to subjugate and abuse everyone who is classified as not white. Um, do you believe that such a system exists, and do you believe that is a correct definition for uh, the system of racism, white supremacy? Yeah, I think that um, even though the world, and certainly in the United States, we have transcended the most explicit forms of white supremacy, um, slavery, Jim Crow segregation. That is, in formal terms, we have enfranchised the entire adult population and eliminated the legal uh, mechanisms for an apartheid system. That's certainly true, and the progress um, that made that possible should be celebrated. But I still believe it's appropriate to describe the United States in 2009 as a white supremacist system, both in material terms, that is the distribution of wealth and power, and in ideological terms, in the way we think about race. Uh, it doesn't mean the system looks like it has always looked historically, but I still think it's the appropriate term. 
And once we recognize that we still live in a white supremacist system, we can start to ask meaningful questions about what is the nature of that system and how do we change it. And you think this is important, uh, not only for the white people uh, in the system of white supremacy, but uh, for the non-white people, uh, and really for anyone who is concerned uh, about replacing white supremacy with justice, correct? Well, it's important for the planet in that sense. Now, certainly non-white people don't need to be told by me that white supremacy still exists. Uh, My audience, primarily as a white person, is other white people who are often in various forms of denial or resistance to those, what I think are pretty basic observations about the world. I think that if we step back and recognize that white supremacy is one form of hierarchy, one vehicle for oppression in the world, certainly not the only and not the only one we should concern ourselves with, uh, patriarchy, that is male dominance, um, within capitalism, a form of uh, domination by elite and wealthy people over working and poor people. Uh, And beyond that, even the way that that the human species now dominates the planet, all of these are connected. And they have very, very serious consequences because we are in a period of multiple crises, crises on every front, political and economic, certainly, social and cultural, certainly, and of course, most profoundly, perhaps, ecological. So starting to take apart these various hierarchical systems, understand how they work, and and reject them in favor of, of more egalitarian uh, and just systems is crucial. I, I can't imagine anyone alive today wouldn't care about that. But of course, people with power and privilege, unearned power and privilege, often exactly are in exactly that position of denial or resistance. Okay. Um. Groovy. Uh, as we uh, move forward here, I want to make sure I get uh, your permission uh, to ask you uh, questions dealing with the system of white supremacy, uh, all areas of people activity, um, education, entertainment, economics, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, and war. Uh, do you have your permission to ask about all those areas of people activity in the context <laughs> of white supremacy? Well, that is a, a wide range of things. But, of course, we have to talk about all those things to try and get a handle on the system. So all very crucial questions, yes. Right on. Uh, as I loved your uh, quote in one of your essays. You said, as much, uh, as much truth as we can bear. Um, that's uh, the standard I try and uh, stick to on the cows. I feel like we definitely need uh, as much honesty and accurate information uh, as possible, particularly myself as a, a victim of uh, – white supremacy. Um, Actually, before I I get to my next question, uh, Blog Talk Radio featured this show, which I'm very pleased about, uh, but I got no love on the feature at all. They have a huge picture of you and a huge picture of your book, The Heart of Whiteness. I didn't even get a mention. They didn't mention my name. I didn't get anything. They didn't didn't mention the name of the show, nothing. It's like uh, the Robert Jensen Show featuring Robert Jensen. But uh, hopefully some people will tune in and get constructive information. Um, uh, Are you a white person? Yes, I'm 50 years now of of whiteness here. I, I turned 50 this past year. I was born in 1958. I was born into the beginnings of that post-apartheid world in the United States, but of course also born into a world uh, in which racial tensions were right on the surface. Uh, In the 2008 election with the coming to power of Barack Obama, 
uh, a lot of those tensions seems to seem to have now started to dissipate. But uh, again, I think that this question of race is every bit as important today as it was the day I was born. Okay. Um, and I wanted to know, you said you are a white person. Mm-hmm. How did you come to understand that you are a white person? How and when did you understand that you are a white person in a system of white supremacy? Yeah. Well, actually, on that count, I must confess it was painfully late in life that I started to understand what that meant. Certainly, I was always aware I was white. I come from European, primarily northern European heritage. Uh, I grew up in North Dakota, uh, probably the whitest state in the country in many ways. So it obviously it wasn't that I was unaware I was white. Um, but I think that the fact that I was white living in a system of white supremacy, uh, it wasn't until I was probably in my 30s that I really started to come to terms with that. Uh, throughout my my childhood and young adulthood, uh, I had what are probably considered traditionally kind of liberal politics, certainly not a deep critique or a radical critique of power, but, you know, the sort of traditional American liberal approach. But in my 30s, when I was fortunate enough to go back to graduate school and have some time to study and study not only in terms of the classroom, but in the community doing political organizing with people, I really deepened my understanding. Um, uh, The first subject that I focused on was gender, looking at male dominance and patriarchy, but very quickly realized I had a lot of thinking and learning to do about race as well. So I would say that that it's really only in the last two decades that I started to grapple with this question of what, not only what does it mean to be white in some sort of psychological sense, but what does it mean to be white in a political sense? That is, what is the nature of the distribution of power and resources in this country? Uh, How, by virtue of being white, am I implicated in that? And what are my moral and political responsibilities as a result of that? That's that's a process that, um, you know, has as it's any difficult process, always ongoing. One hopes that one's understanding deepens over time. But I could probably chart the beginning of it uh, about 20 years ago. Okay. Um, You have to uh, forgive me a little bit. I'm not the uh, most competent host person, but I'm struggling and still learning uh, as a victim of racism. Uh, I wanted to uh, make sure I asked uh, asked that question correctly. how do you know that you are a white person? Um, yeah, let's let's see that one. How do you know that you're a white person? Well, obviously, when I look in the mirror, um, I see that I'm a white person. But I, I take your question to mean, how do I know I'm a, a white person in in a political sense? How do I know that by virtue of being white, there are certain advantages that will come to me in a white supremacist system? Um, well, actually, I wanted, well, I'll, I'll clarify then. Uh, when I say, how do you know that you're white? Like there has to be uh, some qualification. There has to be some criterion for determining, you know, who is white. I'm just curious as to how you found yeah. out, okay, I'm a white person. Okay. Well, in my case, uh, to the best of my ability to to find out, all of my ancestry is European, either English and German or Scandinavian. 
kind of definitively white in that sense. But the question is, what does the word white mean? Because, of course, at this point in history, uh, many people are the product of uh, the mixture and, and migration around the planet of people whose continent of origin uh, can be different. Uh, we have people who have, have ancestry that might, root, might date back to different continents. And so what does the word white mean? And I take it that white is not a, a question of genetics. Uh, in the way I understand this, white is a political label. So uh, I am white in the sense that that term is commonly used to signify European ancestry. But white politically is connected to what it means to be white in a white supremacist system. Now, who is and isn't white in such a system is in some sense always in flux because what percentage of European ancestry does one need to qualify as white? Well, we know in the history of the United States in certain times and places, there was the one drop rule. That is, if you had any ancestry, you know, even a great, great, great grandfather who was not European, then one was excluded from the category of white. On the other hand, we know that people of mixed race origin, that is, whose ancestry might go back to different continents, uh, can be considered white depending on any number of things, uh, not only skin color and present, you know, sort of physical presentation, but education and social upbringing and all sorts of things. So the categories are quite fluid. Uh, we know also that certain um, ethnic groups that we now think of as white, uh, the classic one perhaps being the Irish in the United States, were not originally thought of as white. So when Irish immigration began to flow into the United States, people of Irish descent were not seen as white, even though, of course, their skin color was no different than that of the British or other Europeans. Uh, there, There is a process by which, as the title of a famous book put it, the Irish became white. Um, that is, they became absorbed into this category that we call white. So we recognize that, that race, of course, has something to do with physical appearance, with genetics, with the biology. But we also know that really there is no, there are no races in a biological sense. There is a human species of which we are all a part. And depending on the continent of origin of our ancestors, we will have different physical appearances. But the idea of separate and distinct biological races is in fact a fantasy. But race is very much a reality in the social sense. And in that context, Racial groups will depend on the time and place one lives. In the United States today, we have a category of white that is, again, not completely disconnected from how people look, but is about more than how people look. And in that sense, white is a political category. I knew I was white uh, in, in a sense from the day I was born in that even if I couldn't have articulated this understanding, I knew that I walked in the world as a white person with certain kinds of advantages. <clears throat> now, as I have you know, studied and been part of political movements, that understanding, I hope, has deepened a bit uh, about how that process of creating a category of white and uh, its connection to a system of white supremacy. Uh, I hope I, I know a bit more at this point about how that works, but... Um, in that sense, I've always been white. I've always known I w was white, but I didn't understand what whiteness really meant until considerably later in life. Okay. 
Um, this uh, I'm always try to use my show as an educational tool. Um, mm-hmm. I found uh, this is very important for non-white people. This happened last week uh, with uh, Farrell Winfrey. Uh, she is a uh, white woman, uh, admitted racist, white supremacist. Uh, so she's trying her best to uh, replace white supremacy with justice. Um, it's very important for the victims of white supremacy. I think very important that they uh, ask questions in an effort to get constructive information about racism, white supremacy, um, and I think it's very important, very important that victims make sure that they get their uh, question uh, answered. Sure. Um, I also think it's very important. I think non-white people should definitely make sure uh, if you're speaking to a white person or really anyone, let them know if you need help uh, so that you can get the information that is uh, get the information in a way that is easiest for you to digest uh, and understand what's being said so you can take that information and use it, put it to a constructive use. Um, You said uh, in answer to uh, how do you know that you are white, you said that you uh, have kind of always known that you're white, um, but you didn't have an understanding of what that meant in terms of being white in a system of white supremacy. Are you saying you were born with innate knowledge that you were white or no i mean that i grew up in a world in which um, my status as white was always assumed Um, i i happened to come out of a a household in which as i said all of the ancestry is european and northern european so uh, on on physical appearance uh, i i look white in the sense that we usually mean that term. So there was never a question for me about what racial category I belonged in in this particular system. So in that sense, um, I grew up white. I also grew up in a a society, and in my case, particular parents, who for the most part accepted the racial ideology of the dominant white supremacist society. I don't mean um, that everybody around me as I grew up was an overt white supremacist, uh, an overt racist in that sense. But when I was growing up in the 1960s and 70s in North Dakota, there was very little challenge of the system. There was an acceptance of that system and an unspoken acceptance of the role of white people in that system. And so that was just part of the the world I grew up in. Uh, you know, once I got a bit older, and even though I grew up around almost entirely white people with television and, and reading, of course, I began to understand that there were people in other racial categories in the society. But the fundamental understanding of the United States as a white country, that is, the United States as a country built by the efforts of white people, Europeans, um, that was taken as a given, and I was raised in that, I was educated in that. And it was that from which I had to kind of extricate myself. It's it's that system that takes for granted the superiority of white people. It takes for granted the white identity of the United States. All of those things which, you know, they're not really taught to you in the sense that they sit you down in first grade and tell you, now remember, you're white and America was built by white people. And, you know, it's not that kind of education. It's more the way that certain assumptions are made and repeated over and over again. So I was raised to be white in a white supremacist system. Uh, Again, pointing out that I came of age after the system of legal apartheid 
had pretty much ended. But still, that white supremacist system very much in place in a in a less formal way, but still very important way. Okay. Excuse me. Um, I have a little bit of a cold here. Sorry. Okay. Um, I uh, again, I I'm, think this is very important um, because uh, I've participated in a lot of uh, discussions on racism, white supremacy. Um, mm-hmm. As a as a victim, uh, and uh, in discussions between victims of white supremacy and white people, um, I think it's it's very important um, that the victim uh, feel like you know they got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, go ahead. If if I'm not being clear, feel free to keep keep asking. Okay, um, and I also have uh, some other uh, other information I would like to get out as well during the show. Um, sure. I still I still feel like I'm not I don't have crystal clarity with regards as to how you became informed that you are a white person not as much uh Okay. Yeah, I I think I know what you're saying. Let, let me give you an example. I grew up in North Dakota which when I was there had a very small non-white population with the exception of people of indigenous descent, American Indians. And American Indians when I was growing up were largely either segregated onto reservations or uh, living in a town like the one I grew up in, in uh, sort of on the margins. But every once in a while, I would have some contact with an American Indian. And one of the ways that I learned I was white was by being reminded I wasn't an Indian. So in that part of the world at that period in history, to be Indian was to be assumed to be lazy, to probably have an alcohol problem to be uh, you know, not trustworthy in certain ways. So when in day-to-day life, as a white person in a place like North Dakota, there might be interaction with an Indian, there would be all sorts of markers about what was different about being Indian than being white. Uh, and again, that was so much a part of everyday life that I can't even think back to a specific incident. But I was raised to understand that there was a difference, and the difference was meaningful, and that white people were on top of that racial hierarchy, and American Indians were on the bottom. So that's the way that whiteness kind of gets conveyed to you when you grow up, um, especially at that period of time in that particular place when there was very little discussion of race as a social issue. Uh, So in that sense, uh, I always knew I, I was white, uh, the way it's conveyed to you in all sorts of formal and informal ways. Wow. That I have more clarity now. Thank you very much. Um, wow. Were these uh, white people who were pointing out differences between what it means to be non-white and mm. what it means to be – yes? Yes, mostly. So, for instance, you know, the phrase drunk Indian – was very common when I grew up. So there was a a couple of blocks in in my hometown that had a lot of bars and where there were cheap hotels, and and it was a place where uh, transient men who were often looking for day labor would would congregate. Um, We called it Skid Row when I was a kid. I don't know if that term is still used by people. Um, You know, the the part of town where um, there's a lower sort of social status. Okay. Well, to to walk down that street or to drive by that street, it would not be, you know, uncommon to hear someone say, it could have been my father, could have been anybody saying, 
well, there's another drunk Indian. And, and it was very important that that phrase, drunk Indian, um, they, they went together. The assumption was this is what uh, American Indians are like. This is what people of indigenous descent are like. And it's not only labeling them, it's also implicit in that, the recognition or the assertion that white people are on top. Um, you know, this happens in all sorts of ways, depending on the time and place uh, we're talking about. But those subtle ways in which people who occupy a position in a social hierarchy that's deemed to be superior, such as white people, or, you know, it could be men, it could be people of a certain ethnic origin over others. Often it's around rich over poor, assumptions made about what, you know, people of lesser means are like compared to people of greater means. Uh, these things get conveyed to us in all sorts of ways. They're very insidious, of course, because they are so subtle, and we we absorb them often without understanding because they are, you know, not lessons in that sense, like lessons in a textbook. They are the, you know, the kind of water in which we swim. And, and that's why they're so difficult to identify and so difficult to deal with. Wow. That, uh, that brings me to an interesting point. Um, this is a key point on uh, last week's show. Um, Again, I spoke with uh, last week Farrell Winfrey, uh, mm-hmm. a white woman, admitted racist, white supremacist, uh, who says, you know, she's trying to do work to uh, work against white supremacy. Um, and I asked her, uh, Mr. Neely Fuller Jr., he is a victim of white supremacy. Uh, he's written a book on racism. And he said that uh, white people cannot be ignorant about racism. And I asked Miss Winfrey uh, last week if uh, she thought that statement was true, and she said that she did not think that was a true statement. And uh, she, you know, clarified in the interview. Um, I checked out one of uh, your articles and uh, the reality of race, and uh, you were addressing uh, some college students who did a study with white people, and I believe they were asking these white students. Uh, you know, how much compensation would they take uh, to be a black person? And they gave, you know, pretty low figures, uh, according to what you said in your article. Um, and I think some of the conclusions that they came to in running the study was that, uh, well, white people don't understand. That's why the white people, they don't they don't really have a grasp of what it means to be black and what it means to be uh, a victim of white supremacy. And you said, I'm, I'm quoting you, uh, you said that I think the data along with all my experience, both as a white person and someone who writes about white supremacy, suggests the opposite. White people in America are mean and uncaring, morally bankrupt, and ethically flawed. Um, The point, I think, of what you were getting at was saying that white people are not ignorant about uh, racism. Um, Could you uh, share your thoughts on that, please? Well, yeah, this this is, of course, a complex question about what people in positions of unearned privilege and power, what they really know about the system that gave them that unearned privilege and power. Because on the one hand, we can we can kind of observe that across the board, if somebody has a, a better position in life, and that position comes from an unjust system, and again, you can look across the board at all of the systems of hierarchy, which give some people 
unearned privilege and power. Uh, you can you can ask how much do people really understand about the system that is benefiting them? Well, you know, there's a lot of incentive when you are the recipient of unearned privilege and power to try to deny that that unjust system exists because most of us want to feel that we earn what we have and that most of us want to feel like we're good people. But if we live in a system that rewards us by virtue of our identity, like being white, for instance, or being male, then that conflicts with our sense of wanting to be rewarded for our effort and our success. And it also uh, conflicts with our sense of justice. And so one of the things I think people do when they're confronted with that is to engage in what we might call willed ignorance, that is, being stupid on, uh, by design. That, that is, people don't want to know the truth. Uh, let, let's take it out of race and, and give an example of gender. One of the things that's clear about the relationship between men and women in the contemporary United States is that women are at risk of incredibly elevated rates of violence, sexual violence, and sexual intrusion of other sorts. Well, why is that? Why are women the vastly disproportionate targets of such violence? Well, it has to do with a male supremacist society and patriarchy and a certain conception of masculinity. Well, a lot of men would prefer not to know about that because it calls into question one's sense of self and one's place in the world. Uh, but is it really possible to not know? Well, you know, this is, uh, I think I'm not a psychologist and I don't, I maybe am not competent to make too definitive of a claim. But I think that even though people in positions of unearned privilege and power often work very hard not to know what that system is really like, at some level, it's, it, it's very difficult to deny the reality. So it's very difficult to deny the reality, for instance, that white people are advantaged in a system of white supremacy. Um, the, as I said in that article, the data is very clear. Um, and that means that if people really understand it, when they support a white supremacist system, they're just, as I said, being mean and uncaring. But I, I think, you know, I might have been overdrawing the point in that article uh, because we're so quick to say, oh, white people really don't understand, and therefore, if they are not actively resisting white supremacy, it's not because they don't care, it's because they don't know. And I, I think we have to be careful to assume that people just don't know about it because the evidence of it is, is all around us. Wow. At the same time, you know, we should observe that human beings have a great capacity for self-deception. That includes, you know, you and me and everybody else. One thing we know about human beings is if we want to believe something that's contrary to fact, we have a very elaborate way that we can do that. And of course, everybody's done it on questions, not only political and social, but on personal things. We, we all can point to places where we convinced ourselves of something that wasn't true because we wanted to believe it. And I think that's, uh, to some degree, an open question. How much do people in positions of unearned privilege and power actually understand the system that gives them that? And therefore, how much do they understand the experiences of people who don't have that power? Well, uh, I guess I would be open to an ongoing conversation about it because I'm not sure I know enough to say. But I do think that there are I, – I do think one thing is, is clear, 
that there are white people in the United States today who are well aware of how a white supremacist system works and are willing to support it because it does bring them advantages. And on the question of justice, they simply don't care. There are certainly people in that category. I can think of people in my own life, some very close to me, family, for instance, who I think are very clearly in that position. Um, you know, and that's a difficult thing to accept in a world where we want to believe that most people support justice, support principles of equality and the dignity of all people. Uh, it forces us to ask some tough questions about the kind of society we really are. Wow. Um, it has been my observation that um, often people, white people that I suspect could be racist, um, make an effort to impress upon the victims of white supremacy that the problem with why white supremacy has not been replaced with justice is that white people are ignorant. They don't know. They're not informed. Non-white people need to invest time and energy into informing white people about non-white suffering and informing them about the system of racism. Uh, the effect I have observed is that the non-white people uh, remove culpability from white people and say, well, this white person is not a racist. I don't suspect that this white person could be a racist. This white person is just ignorant. They don't know. They're not informed. They're not aware that you know there is a, such a thing as a system of racism white supremacy, and I have observed that the effect of that is that, as I said, it keeps non-white people from placing culpability on white people. Uh, it keeps non-white people, the victims of white supremacy, from placing, uh, from being suspicious uh, of white people. Uh, what do you think can be done? Uh, because you just said you, you think that can be, uh, I don't want to misquote you, but uh, that can be problematic. Uh, when you, you know, take the position that, you know, well, these white people, they're just not informed about all this, when you said the evidence is clearly all around us uh, that such a system does exist, um, what do you think can be done uh, to erode this tendency of the victims of white supremacy to just automatically say that, well, white people don't know that they're yeah. ignorant? Yeah, I, you know, I think you're you're getting at a very important and very difficult question. Let's distinguish between true ignorance, that is a state where one doesn't know because one has not had an opportunity to know. Okay, so I can be ignorant of all sorts of things, either because I, I don't have the opportunity to learn or because it might be a question beyond my capacity. Um, let's call that authentic ignorance, that is ignorance in which um, one can understand its origins. But there is another state of being that I think is more important in this discussion, what I just called willed ignorance. That is, ignorance that you choose. Uh, let me give you another example. Uh, we, we all are, you know, probably can imagine situations in which we choose not to know because the consequences of knowing are difficult. Uh, let's say that you, you work in, a, in an office and one of your colleagues is engaged in let's say it's a financial enterprise, to make it a very contemporary example. Mm -hmm. And one of your colleagues is engaged in um, some wheeling and dealing that you have reason to believe is not ethical, is not legal, or, or could be you know, problematic. 
Now, if you learn about that, if you have the capacity to know what your colleague is really doing, then it forces you to make a choice. Are you going to report it to higher-ups, perhaps risking your own status in the company, uh, or are you going to stay ignorant so that you don't feel compelled to report that? That's the kind. If you choose to not learn about something or not acknowledge what you have reason to believe to be true, because you don't want to face the consequences of it. That's what I'm calling a kind of willed ignorance. So if in that particular example in a company, I decide, well, I'm not going to look into this. I'm not going to ask this colleague about what he or she is doing. I'm just going to you know, keep my head down. And then I won't have to face the question of what to do about that knowledge. Well, does that mean that you aren't responsible? Well, no. In, in a way, you're still responsible. You're just choosing not to acquire the information or deepen your understanding to the point where the choice you would make would be more clear. Well, I think that's, in a, in a way, the status of much of white America, a kind of willed ignorance. The data is out there. The books and films uh, and artistic expression of non-white people that makes evident the consequences of white supremacy, that's out there. Uh, you know, there's no shortage of, of books in the library that explain the problem. Uh, if you're white and you have chosen not to investigate, chosen not to know what is easy to know, well, it may feel like then, because you don't know anything about this, you're not obligated to act. You're not obligated to be part of a public discussion about it or a political movement about it. But does that really get you off the hook? In other words, does willed ignorance absolve you of your moral and political responsibilities? Well, I don't think it does. But I think that's the concept that might be helpful in understanding the state of white America, a kind of willed ignorance. But in most situations, we do not let people off the hook if they have the ability to understand something but choose not to. Okay. As as a... Uh as a victim of white supremacy, um, I uh, do not think it is uh, constructive to say that to remove culpability and suspicion uh, from any white person under the system of white supremacy. Um, willed ignorance, uh, your term, uh, to me that is that is a conscious uh, effort uh, that is making a conscious choice uh, to not access information that uh, is resulting in a system of justice being practiced worldwide uh, where people needing help are not getting it uh, and people are mistreated on a continuous basis because they are not white. Uh, not only do I, I feel like uh, it is not constructive to remove culpability, I feel like that in and of itself uh, is an act of racism, white supremacy, because that act of choosing to ignore information uh, is indirectly and or directly uh, leading to individuals being mistreated uh, because they are not white. Uh, I, I agree completely, and I think the key term you just used was conscious, and, and I think you're absolutely right. Willed ignorance is a conscious choice, mm -hmm. even if people avoid acknowledging it. Um, and, and I would also agree and want to emphasize the agreement that that when non-white people engage white people, uh, there is no, there should be no assumption of the good motives, good intentions of white people. I think you know we who are white 
the burden of proof is always on us to demonstrate that we have engaged in this critical self-reflection and are, in fact, trustworthy allies. I don't think that we have any right to, uh, you know, demand that people treat us as trustworthy allies. Um, and I think that's really important. I think that's very hard for white people to accept because a lot of us who are white want to say, uh, well, you know, I'm a good person and I'm trying my best. Why can't you just accept that and trust me? And of course, those folks who aren't white know perfectly well what the consequences of trusting white people. Oh, is. wait a minute. I, mm -hmm. I, I, I apologize wholeheartedly for interrupting you. No, go ahead. Uh, I, I have found that not the victims of white supremacy really struggle maintaining what you just said, mm -hmm. that uh, when victims of white supremacy come together with white people, suspected racists, uh, or admitted racists, um, to do the work of replacing white supremacy with justice, there should be no assumption of goodwill on the part mm -hmm. of the victims. And it has been my experience that non-white people, the victims of racism, white supremacy, totally struggle with that. I would say we get an F across the board in that regard. Um, it has been my experience yeah. that the victims uh, are conditioned to look for and search out for that white person that they believe is a quote-unquote good white person that is not racist, that will like them, will be their friend. Uh, Ms. Farrell Winfrey, she said last week she feels religion has done a great part uh, in conditioning non-white people to seek that, you know, loving, sure. affectionate white person that will to, uh, do right by them and will not be racist with them. What do you think can be done uh, to erode that conditioning and to get non-white people to really get it in their mind that there should never be an assumption of goodwill in doing these interactions with white people in replacing the system of white supremacy with justice. Well, I, I really uh, found what you just said very compelling. And first of all, let me mark that you, you use the term admitted racist or suspected racist. Yes, and I, I thought that was brilliant because in some sense that describes all white people. There are admitted racists, that people, white people who will, who will acknowledge that they believe in white supremacy. And then there are the rest of us who don't acknowledge it, but as you're pointing out, should be suspect. And, and to, to say that doesn't, I don't think, imply that all white people are evil. It's to recognize the reality of what it means to live as a white person in a white supremacist system. And certainly myself, and I'll speak just from my own experience here, you know, 20 years uh, of trying to deal with this question, trying to bring my own actions into line with my stated principles, uh, 20 years of trying to be an anti-racist white ally, uh, my behavior is not perfect. Uh, I am constantly bumping into ways in which I go deeper and recognize how deep the racist training I had um, took effect. And so I don't find it insulting to be called a suspected racist or a potential racist, we might say. I think that's an apt description of what it means to grow up white in a white supremacist society. Uh, and, and the experience of non-white people, as you said, of being too trusting or too forgiving, I won't comment on that because, of course, I don't 
find myself in that position as a white person. But I, I certainly understand the, the, the point you're making. Uh, and again, we can see how this works across other kinds of oppression that might help us you know, illustrate it. So for instance, one of the things that women talk about often is the way in which they cannot know for sure which men that they will engage in the world are potential rapists. And so, you know, to make the point dramatically, one might say that there are two kinds of men, admitted rapists and potential rapists, which isn't to say that every man is a rapist. It's to say that in a patriarchal society in which male dominance is the norm, women must work in the world and walk in the world aware of the threat that men pose. And therefore, to assume that any man is going to be one of the good guys just because he claims to be would be, as you're pointing out, really uh, uh, self-destructive because there's no way for a woman to know that. And, and these are very difficult truths to bump up against, as you're pointing out, difficult for white people to, to come to terms with. And you're pointing out that also difficult for non-white people to come to terms with. But I think to go back to something you said at the beginning of the show about how you try to be honest, that's the kind of honesty that we need. So um, I, I couldn't uh, agree more. I, I uh, would like, uh, if I could throw out a suggestion, because that's really, uh, that was actually what I, my interview with uh, the admitted racist known as Farrell Winfrey got cut last week. Uh, I'm a little suspicious about that at the point where I was asking her what could be done to erode that conditioning. It got cut right when I asked that question, so she did not get the answer. Um, but uh, in terms of what can be done to erode that conditioning, because I, I really uh, don't see this problem with white people. Uh, I have bumped into many white people who say all the time they do not trust white people, and these conversations are in the context of white supremacy. The non-white people are the people that I see, the victims of white supremacy, really struggle maintaining suspicion of white people. Um, I mean, as I said, in my view, we get an F across the board in this area. Um, in my view, I think it would be constructive if non all of the victims of white supremacy had a mild level of dislike for <laughs> white people. Uh, I, yeah. What What is your view on that? Do you think that well, would be constructive? Yeah, I, I think, you know, on the one hand, I can imagine a lot of white people listening to what you just said and saying, well, how can we ever come together? How can we ever, you know, transcend racism if there's that kind of suspicion? But I would challenge the white people who say that because I think what you said is accurate. I think it's sensible. And in my own experience, uh, when I have made meaningful friendships and alliances with non-white people, that is when uh, black folks and Latino folks and I have come together and really reached a point where we're connecting as human beings, engaged in often in political work, um, you know, with mutual respect. I think that the reason we got to that place was precisely because those non-white people did not automatically think I was a great guy. They were skeptical of me. They held me accountable. Uh, and I think that's what then sparks me as a white person to be the best person I can. So I can imagine a lot of white people saying, well, you're too harsh, Gus. You're just being too harsh, and you're going to undermine the potential for progress. But my experience is that your position is, in fact, not only the sensible one, it also is the position that can lead to real 
meaningful interaction between non and white and non white people. Right on. I uh as a victim of white supremacy, um I am generally not concerned with white people thinking that I'm harsh in a stance that I take on how uh racism, white supremacy should be eroded, although I acknowledge as I said, most non white people do not take that stance, and I might not even be being completely honest with myself. I'm sure there's probably a white person out there that I like enough that if they said that hurt their feelings, I would probably be bothered <laughs> and would probably uh, take a step or two back from my statement and say, well, Susie's okay, I guess. She has, well, no. Uh, and I really feel as long as the system of white supremacy exists, that level of suspicion should be there uh, and Every white person uh, in the system of white supremacy, at minimum, should be looked at as a suspect, if not if they haven't admitted that they are, in fact, a racist. And that should be there until the system of white supremacy has been replaced with a system of justice. Uh, oh, there's a suspected white person who's giving me a thumbs up on that one. He just heard me say that, and he gave a thumbs up. So that's two white people who think that would be constructive. All of the non-white people listening, I hope you will marinate on that, think about it being a mild level of dislike for white people under the system of white supremacy. Um, in your book, The Heart of Whiteness, um, I thought it was fabulous. At the very beginning of the book, um, you talked about the terms non-white and people of color. Mm -hmm. um, and you talked about why you felt the term non-white was a more correct term to use to refer to the individuals who are classified as not white in a system of white supremacy. Um, it, this is another one. Many victims of white supremacy that I know really uh, have some sort of uh, strong attachment to the term people of color. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've you know, questioned them about this term and you know, why they're so endeared to it, and most of them don't even really have a reason uh, other than that's the term that's been used for a while and they feel like it has some sort of lineage and you know, whatever yeah. that means. Could you, you know, explain to our audience why your view is uh, that non-white is a more correct term to use than people of color? Yeah. Well, you know, this this really originated in discussions with some non-white people who said they always felt uncomfortable with that term people of color, which had become the acceptable term. Uh, and it left a lot of people I knew who aren't white feeling kind of uneasy. Uh, it was too um, too easy a term. Uh, and as I started thinking about it, uh, of course, there are many people who are not white, that is not of European origin. Uh, and what makes them a coherent group? That is, if you take black, Latino, Asian, indigenous people, what makes those people a coherent category? Well, the only thing that all those people have in common, of course, is that, that at some point in their either their personal lives or the history of their racial and ethnic group, is that they have been direct victims of white supremacy. That means the only thing that they have in common is that they're not white. It's not that they're of color, it's that they're not white in a political sense. And in that sense, I think the term non-white, although it's jarring to many people, it doesn't sound right, it, it, it feels foreign, it reminds us that, in fact, the basis of our racial system is white supremacy and that white people create two categories, white and non-white. And no matter how you label that group non-white, whether you call it people of color or communities of color or whatever, 
still, the only thing all of those people in that category have in common is that they're not white and they are marked as not white by a white supremacist system. Now, that's why I use the term non-white, because it, it, it may seem like, and people have criticized me for using it, for saying, well, it, it keeps white people at the center. Right? It still references everything as either white or non-white. And my point is, yes, that's exactly what we want to do, not because we want to say white people are better, but because we want to mark that white people created a system of white supremacy that is profoundly pathological. But we have to keep our attention on that system of white supremacy. In the end, you know, people, I think, should have a right to label themselves however they want to. For sure. But I think that's an important point to make for those of us who are white to realize that, you know, we're the ones who created the system of white supremacy. We're the ones who created these two categories of white and non-white. And then within the non-white world, we created subcategories of who had more or less power and privilege. But it's all a product of a really messed up white community. And that's what I always want to focus on. I, You know, one of my phrases that I use <clears throat> is that we do have a race problem in the United States. And we always have to remember that the color of the race problem is white. Mm -hmm. You know, people often talk about the problem of race as a, as a black problem or a Latino problem. But that is to, I think, focus us on the wrong aspect of the system. It's true that black people have problems, and they have problems sometimes distinctly connected to being black. But they, black people are not the problem. White people are the problem because white people are those folks who continue to maintain white supremacy. Mm. Wow, I had I had several things that jumped out at me um, when you were uh, expressing your views on that, and I that was one of the uh, immediate. I began sharing uh, your views on that term immediately because I've had many conversations around the term non-white. And uh, I really try to to use victim of white supremacy as often as possible because. Uh, what you said about non-white in saying that uh, the utility of the word is that it keeps the focus on white people, uh, the white people who practice white supremacy, the problem. In your book, you said the problem, and you just said it again, the problem is white people. Uh, I guess if uh, I wanted to clarify, the problem is the white people who practice mm -hmm. white supremacy, and the term non-white keeps the focus on the fact that the problem we're dealing with is white people practicing white supremacy and the focus should be there so that we all are, you know, in the loop and on the same page with exactly what it is we're dealing with. And I'll ask, do you think, um, you said that the, the thing that people, so-called people of color, the thing that they have in common is that they have been classified uh, and mistreated on the basis of being classified as not white in a system of white supremacy. Do you think the term victim of white supremacy is accurate, and do you think that does an even better job of illuminating exactly what we're talking about uh, in terms of individuals who are not white in a system of white supremacy? Yes, I, I think it's a, a lovely phrase, uh, and I think it, until you started using it over and over again, I had never thought about that. And here's just an indication of, of how we have to get real about this. As I listen to you use that phrase, victims of white supremacy, after about the second or third time, I found myself saying, and I wasn't thinking about it consciously, but now as I reflect back on it, I found myself saying, why doesn't he stop saying that? I'm tired of that phrase. 
<laughs> but of course, the reason I was tired of that phrase is because it's an honest phrase. And it reminds me of the reality of the system. And so, you know, as you brought it up, why you use that phrase, I was forced to not only recognize that you're, of course, right about it, but I also then had to reflect why earlier in the conversation was I feeling so uncomfortable. And that's what I mean about always trying to be critically self-reflective about our own honest, honestly self-reflective about our own reactions. You know, I, as I said, I've spent about 20 years trying to think about this and 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 change the way I behave. But it's an ongoing struggle. And so, you know, I learned something just now about my the, my own um, emotional state, my own training, and how that's still part of me. So that's that's uh, let's chalk this up as a, a good learning experience for me today, too. Certainly. All right. Well. Right on. I hope our audience members learned a lot. I know your uh, the reaction that you had to the term. Mm-hmm. Generally, non-white people have that same reaction, but yeah. they verbalize immediately that they yeah. do not like that term. Well, you already you didn't learn anything there. You already know non-white people hate that term. Uh, they have just a myriad of problems with it, where they feel that it takes away uh, agency and puts you in right. a position of powerlessness and a whole lot of other things, and at the end of the day, I come back to the same thing I said to you. Is it true? Am I being mistreated because I'm not white? If that is true, it doesn't matter if it is a uh, quote-unquote lovely phrase. Personally, I do not think it's lovely. I don't think anything is cool or... No, I don't. I, by, lo- by lovely, I just meant it was very, very, a very accurate and, and powerful phrase. I just chose wrong in my word. So. Oh, okay. Words are important. Words uh, are important. Um, but yeah, non-white people do not like this term, and they don't even like non-white. I, I generally only use non-white as a means of uh, trying to be more acceptable uh, to victims who don't like the term victim. So I'll use non-white, sure. but I really feel like victim of white supremacy is the best term. And that's also been my experience that white people generally don't like that term either. Uh, yeah. But again, as I said, I don't. I generally feel like I'm doing a good job. If I'm making white people uncomfortable, I feel like I'm doing a good job. And any non-white people, victims of white supremacy that I observe uh, discussing racism, white supremacy, where they are bothering white people, I generally give them a thumbs up and say that they're doing a job, uh, job well done. Yeah. Uh, Oh, and and it yeah. certainly had that effect on me. And and I think part of what I was reacting to is is exactly what you said that the construction of the phrase "victim of white supremacy" uh, implies that somehow you see yourself as a victim in a in a way that makes you, would would be passive. But you're clearly not passive. You're active. You're engaged. And it reminds us that to understand oneself as a victim is not to surrender agency. You clearly are not surrendering agency. You're trying to, if I understand it right, you're trying to name the system for what it is. And I fell into that same trap myself. So um, as I said, I learned something today. I thank you for sharing that with uh, with that. as much honesty as we can bear. I dig it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also wanted to go back to catch this really quick. Um, you said two categories of people, uh, white people, non-white people. This has been uh, another key issue that victims of white supremacy, I think, have struggled with uh, in trying to pick out categories of people. I have concluded that there are only two categories of people, white people who I would label as either suspected racist or admitted racist, and 
the people who are not white. And really, I don't even feel like that's a category. Those are just people who are not in the white group. I don't necessarily think that makes you a category. I feel like that's uh, that would be the equivalent of saying, okay, there are monkeys in the forest, and then there are non-monkeys. The non-monkey, that's not necessarily a category to say that you are non-monkey. just means these are the people that are not in the category of monkey. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the only thing that makes that a group, if you will, at all, that they are not in the category of monkey. Are we saying, or are you saying, that there are two categories of people, white people, non-white people, under the system of white supremacy? Yes, I think that's what I'm trying to suggest, that the nature of a white supremacist system is that it creates these two categories. Now, within the category of non-white, there are going to be you know, divisions, and white supremacy will treat people differently within that non-white category. So for, for today, for instance, to be African-American, to be Latino, to be Asian, to be indigenous, does not, uh, all of those are what we would call the category of non-white, but people from those different categories will not all be treated the same, especially if you take into account differences of region and, and mm-hmm. such things. So to say this that there's this white and non-white division is not to imply that somehow it's a simplistic world in which you can know without question how a white person will be treated or how a non-white person will be treated. After all, we're talking about a nation of 300 million people, and there's a lot of you know, complexity in the system. What we're trying to do is, is understand patterns. How does the pattern play out? Uh, and that's what I think our focus should be on. And then once we understand that pattern, the question is, what is my individual responsibility to try and affect that pattern, to try and change it to create a more just society. Wow. Okay. I, uh, I'm, I'm in complete agreement. Um, I wanted to uh, – the area of sex, I feel, is extraordinarily important. And uh, in your book, you uh, talked about uh, rape, and you were addressing uh, formal slavery on the system of, under the system of white supremacy. Uh, your book, The Heart of Whiteness, uh, you said that, uh, I'm quoting, uh, you said, uh, rape is defined as sex without consent. Slaves do not consent to their enslavement. To ask whether a slave consents to any particular order given by a master under such conditions is a meaningless question. Sally Hemings, Sally Hemings was a slave. Thomas Jefferson owned her. Jefferson had sex with Hemings. Therefore, Jefferson raped Hemings, who under conditions of enslavement could not give meaningful consent. Uh, I wanted to ask, what is your definition of slavery? Well, I think, um, and this will have to be the last comment because I I have to run to a meeting now, but, you know, I think that we all understand what a formal system of slavery looks like, a system in which one group identifies people of another group as being subhuman, as being not fully human and therefore not capable of asserting moral agency in the same way, and therefore that subhuman group can be bought and sold. Uh, That's a formal system of slavery, which we lived with in the United States till 1865. Uh, But if that's the only definition of slavery, I think we miss important complexities. So for instance, after the end of the Civil War, we still had effective systems of slavery in this country through the imposition of vagrancy laws, which allowed 
the white supremacist power structure in certain states to essentially arrest black people, put them in jail, and then rent them out for labor. Well, that's a de facto system of slavery, even though the legal system doesn't label it as such. Uh, there are all sorts of ways in which slavery continues on in the contemporary world. And I think in the U.S., a lot of that is through what has been called the prison industrial complex. That is, you criminalize the behaviors of one particular group of people, uh, and then they become part of that labor system through the prisons. Well, is that slavery? Well, in, it shares some of the same features as a formal system of slavery. Those are the questions we have to keep asking. Um, it's, it's not enough to just say, well, we got rid of the worst of white supremacy, and therefore we can all rest easy now. We have to always look at how an unjust system operates. And here we're talking about the conflation of capitalism and race. Often we're also talking about gender. You know, this is, you know, it's a complex world. And to sort out the way that these inequalities and injustices play out is complex. But that is our task as thinking, feeling, decent human beings is to always ask those questions. Outstanding. I, um, before I let you go, I just wanted to ask really quick, this is yes or no, white supremacy, is that slavery? You know, it, in that sense, of course, we're not talking about slavery in the formal legal term, but it, does white supremacy enslave people in some sense? I think certainly it does, both in the very material, very real way we're talking about the prison industrial complex, and if one wants to extend the concept of slavery to something more metaphorical, certainly much of white America is still trapped in the belief that by being white, uh, we are naturally superior. And as you're pointing out, non-white people still struggle with the flip side of that, the idea that by not being white, there is something inferior about them. And I suppose that's a kind of, you know, can be a kind of, mental or emotional slavery of sorts. I mean, I don't think I'm competent to make such a statement, but I think it's a question that should trouble us. And often those are the most important questions, not the ones that have simple yes or no answers, but the ones that trouble us to to think that maybe what we had come to believe was true about the world needs to be reexamined. And uh, that is certainly a, a question that troubles us. Uh, I, uh, again, want to thank you for uh, taking time out of your uh, busy Saturday. Your agenda, I'm sure, is pretty full uh, to call in and talk with us here on the Cows. I really appreciate your uh, information you're able to share with us today, and uh, perhaps we can get you back on the show to Absolutely. share more yeah. in the future. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Robert Professor Robert Jensen, uh, author of The Heart of, White, uh, Heart of Whiteness, uh, University of Texas, Austin. Uh, you can check out his website. I have the link uh, on the uh, show page. Uh, you can check it out. He has lots of articles, essays about racism, uh, white supremacy, uh, other uh, problems of injustice. Uh, Mr. Robert Jensen, I want to thank him again for coming on the show today, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, being in contact with you soon. Great, and thanks so much for what you've done to make me think uh, about these hard questions in new ways. Appreciate it. Well, thank you. Working to uh, establish justice. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Thank you. You too. Uh, enjoyed the show. Uh, really enjoyed the show today. I, I uh, wish Mr. Jensen had been able to hang out with us uh, longer because I had uh, a few more questions I was not able to uh, 
not able to get to. But, uh, yeah, he had let me know uh, earlier that uh, he could hang out for about an hour or so. But, um, yeah, I will I will definitely try and uh, nab him uh, back on the show and uh, see if uh, we can get some more uh, constructive information. Uh, I'm not sure how uh, the members listening in felt about the show. Um, I felt he got some constructive things out. Um, I don't. I don't get into the whole uh, so-called patriarchy and sexism and all that. I've seen uh, repeatedly where these uh, other so-called types of oppression are brought up in subjects on racism, white supremacy, and uh, I have seen where it's not constructive. The non-white people, the victims of white supremacy, tend to get very confused and tend to uh, get sidetracked. Uh, so I try to uh, just avoid that altogether. I've also found that when I voice that opinion, it tends to cause conflict amongst non-whites, so I tend to just try and not even address it and just stay focused on white supremacy. Um, I found that kind of interesting, though. He uh, used uh, metaphors and analogies uh, to describe racism, white supremacy, and used sexism. Uh, I feel like there are a lot of very clear examples uh, that one could use uh, in terms of non-white people, victims of racism being mistreated in the system of white supremacy. But uh, at any rate, like I said, I felt it was uh, there were some constructive moments, uh, probably some moments where I could have been better in my questioning. Um, I definitely think earlier in the interview asking him to uh, perhaps slow down a bit. And remember, he's talking with victims of white supremacy who uh, need things uh, in a form that is easy to digest where we're not getting too complicated. But uh, I will take a listen to the broadcast and see what's up. Um, also, man, I will be uh, back later in the day uh, after I have a nap and am feeling a little better. Uh, I will be back with uh, Racism Non-Anonymous. Uh, she's doing a show, uh, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, victims of racism non-whites being rewarded for mistreating other non-whites um should be very interesting i'm looking forward to that you can you can find her site here on uh, blog talk uh racism non-anonymous uh that's today at 6 p.m eastern time uh we'll be chatting it up uh talking about things non-white people can do to uh kind of cut down on conflict when they are mistreated by other uh non-white people um I guess I could check the switchboard if anybody wants to call in, if you want to give me immediate feedback on uh, things you liked or did not like that uh, I said or Mr. Jensen. If you have any commentary, I guess I could check the uh, switchboard and uh, see if I have any callers. Um, check the blog, please, racism-notes.blogspot.com. Uh, one more time, racism notes dot blogspot dot com. Uh, I'll take some time and give out uh, some uh, kudos to other websites I think are doing constructive work. Uh, ben Dung too. Uh, this is linked on my blog. Constructive work against racism, white supremacy. Uh, definitely uh, check out the code dot net. Uh, lots of constructive information there. The code dot net. Uh, also check out uh, Mr. Edward Williams' site. Counter dash racism. Dot com uh, Counter Racism Network. They have lots of uh, constructive uh, audio clips from Mr. Neely Fuller Jr. Uh, that is his work. Uh, that is not me, victim of white supremacy. That is all Mr. Neely Fuller Jr.'s work in his book, The United 
independent compensatory code system concept. Uh, we'll try. I'm going to try and work on getting uh, Mr. Fuller on the show sometime uh, later in the week, perhaps, uh, but sometime soon, um, Mr. Lee Fuller Jr. Um, TheCode.net, Counter-Racism.com, uh, Assault on Black Folk Sanity. Check that one out. They have lots of uh, great blogs about different things that are uh, uh, documenting the mistreatment of non-white people, black people in particular. Um, tons of constructive blogs out there. Let me see if I can think of any others really quick. Um, AfricanAmericanOpinion.com. Um, see, the Non-White Alliance. Uh, shout out to uh, Back of the Bus for sure. Uh, he actually was blogging about Mr. Robert Jensen before he even knew I was going to have him on the show. So still lined up. Shout out big, to- uh, big time. Lots of love uh, for my man Back of the Bus. Um, yeah, I can't think anyway. I'm not feeling my best. So anything else you want to check out, I have a lot more uh, links on my webpage, racism-notes.blogspot.com. You can go there and uh, check out all the other links to our websites that I think have constructive information. White Supremacy in Healthcare, I forgot. Uh, you can check that out as well. That is the first link on my uh, blog listing for websites that I think have constructive information on racism, white supremacy. Uh, you can check that out as well. Um, if you give me a sec, I guess I will check the switchboard, see if I have any callers who want to give me feedback about what Mr. Jensen said, if they enjoyed what he had to say or not. I'll check to see if I have any callers. If you can give me a hot second, I will look at the monitor. Groovy. I uh, don't think anyone. Is anyone else on the line? Anyone? Um. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, I can. Caller, uh, do you have feedback, comment? Um. Yes. My my name is Scotty. Um. I run Black Talk Radio. You promoted your show uh, on our network, and I want to thank you for doing that. And I wanted to give you some feedback um, about your show today. Is I think that the way that you um, discuss, this is a very difficult issue for um, a lot of people, especially white people. And, um, you know, whether they want to acknowledge whether racism still exists, because, you know, there's this movement to say now that we have a non-white um, president that, you know, that's the end, the, a sign that racism is over in America. But I think that the way that you discuss uh, today's topic was very, very constructive, and um, 
You know, I just had to call in and give you kudos for that because I find that a lot of people, when they talk about these issues, you know, they have to use, they seem to feel like they have to use a bunch of derogatory terms, a bunch of slurs, and things uh, 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 like that that's not very constructive to the conversation. And I learned a lot today by listening to you, and I just appreciate the way you handle um, today's interview. Oh, well, I thank you. That means a lot, sir. I appreciate that. Uh, can you tell me your, your name, sir? Yeah, my name is Scotty. Scotty oh, Green. I'm sorry. Scotty Green. Thank you very much, sir. I, I appreciate it. Um, I would encourage you, if you uh, found anything constructive, please share it with uh, any of you. Are you a white person or a non-white person? Uh, I'm a non-white person. Uh, again, you, jo- you just recently joined our network, Black Talk Radio. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Just this just a couple days ago, real recent. Um, Wow, if you found anything constructive, uh, I would say tell people to uh, to check out the show. This is what I want to try and do with all the shows that I do to give out constructive information. And uh, I guarantee you there were some errors. There were definitely some things I could have done better. I would encourage you all to uh, pick out the things that I did that were incorrect and where you can make improvements. And, uh, yeah, just try and, you know, spread information. I think that's uh, that's the constructive thing we need to be doing. Do you have a show here on Blog Talk yourself? Uh, yes, I have actually several shows, uh, One Black Man's View and then our network show, which is Black Talk Radio. Oh, okay, okay. Give us a plug. Who, who are you having on your show next? Give us a plug so we can check out your broadcast. Well, the next um, show that I have coming up is on the 23rd. Um, it's a um, basically an entertainment show, but it's a hip-hop R&B artist. And, you know, she puts out a lot of positive music. See, I think media is very important. Uh, it can be used as a tool to be constructive or, or uh, you know, it can be destructive. And so she's putting out that type of music that, you know, I would call her a role model for uh, young black uh, women coming up. You know, she, she uh, holds to her values. She could have. Um, signed a deal, a major record label deal a long time ago, but, you know, she did not want to succumb to some of the advances of the producers and the executives, you know, wow. who to, you know, so right now she's an independent artist and um, she has a manager. She has a television show out of the D.C. area that's going to be picked up by Comcast. And so, you know, yeah, so she's doing pretty well without, you know, having to succumb to, you know, the vices of the mainstream music industry. Wow. What's what's her name? What's her name? Um, I got so much on my mind. I'm trying to remember her name. Oh, it's Anami Jordan. I'm sorry. It's okay. Anami. Yes, Anami Jordan. It's featured on the front page of the show. Uh, but okay. I'm just, I'm, yeah, I'm just working on a lot of things. But again, um, about the show today. I mean, I wouldn't say I don't have any criticism of what you said today. I think you handled the interview very professionally, uh, very, um, how could I say it? Uh, you know, I'm sure this is an emotional type topic for a lot of people, especially victims of racism. But the way that you handle yourself, you know, you were very even in, in your emotional level. Does that make any sense what I'm saying? Yes, sir. It makes uh, perfect sense to me, and I, that that is one thing I have learned uh, in doing uh, this work and trying to talk about racism, white supremacy. Uh, is going, 
you're going to run into conflict. You're going to have disagreements when you start talking about racism, whether you're talking to non-white people or white people. You're going to have disagreements. Not everybody is going to have the same view, uh, certainly once you start talking about what you want to do to replace it. Uh, so I've, I've just found it's very constructive for me to not be emotional, just, you know, try and take a very, you know, objective problem-solving stance on what should we be doing to solve this problem. Let's not, you know, jump up and down and have an attitude. I could do that, but I don't think that's going to be constructive, and I've seen evidence where victims of racism have done that before. We've done the yelling, we've done the shouting, and didn't really get anything accomplished at the end of the day. So let's try and take a more scientific approach. And again, uh, a lot of my views and opinions on this have been greatly influenced by Mr. Neely Fuller Jr. He's actually in your area, D.C. area. Uh, he has a book that outlines a lot of these strategies and talks about things that non-white people can do to uh, work against racism, white supremacy. He he is the person that I got the term victim of white supremacy from. Uh, his book is... Uh, the United Independent Compensatory Code System Concept uh, is a thought book, textbook, workbook for victims of racism, white supremacy, and I'm going to try and have him on the show, if not this week, uh, very soon. So I'll definitely make sure I post it on uh, Black Talk Radio uh, when I get him. And, uh, yeah, check the show out. If you, if you found anything constructive, share it with your friends. Tell people to try and get a copy of Mr. Fuller's book. Uh, Dr. Frances Cress-Welsing, she's also in your area, D.C. area. She was on the show last week. Uh, if you uh, check out the archive, she also has a lot of constructive information. Um, yeah, just trying, you know, get people informed and uh, doing constructive work. Uh, your artist, if she wants to talk about racism and white supremacy, that's what we do on the show. Amani Jordan, uh, am I saying her name correctly, Anami? It's Anami. Yeah, she's not. Yeah, she's Nigerian. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. She sounds like she is probably a non-white person, victim of white supremacy. If she wants to talk about some of her experiences that she's been dealing with as an artist as it relates to racism, white supremacy, uh, tell her, you know, hit me up, get in contact with me. I would be more than willing to address that as well. I know uh, another non-white person that I know, Mr. Michael Fisher, he uh, also has a lot of experience in uh, entertainment and music and uh, has a lot of information about non-white people being mistreated in uh, in that particular area. So, uh Definitely. Uh, I appreciate you uh, taking time to call in. I really appreciate you calling in to uh, hand out some support and encouragement. That uh, Don't get a whole lot of that, so I'm very appreciative. I, I thank you a ton. Uh, and please tell them, tell them uh, your show again so uh, people can check out uh, when you're going to be doing your work on, here on Blog Talk. Yes, all they have to do is just stay tuned to the event section on Black Talk Radio Network, which is found at uh, blacktalkradio.net or blacktalkradio.means.com. But I do have to correct you. I'm, I'm not in. Um, I'm not in the D.C. area. I'm okay. actually. Um, I'm actually in Gaston County, North Carolina, uh, okay. which is. Yeah, we we have a, a very storied past as far as the Ku Klux Klan and wow. you know all of that, and it's a pre predominantly white area, and so you know I have seen things improve, but you know still some want to hang on to uh, you know that position of superiority, which I call a false position of superiority. It's a complex, uh, mm -hmm. but yeah, I, I'm out of North, North Carolina. But I, I do have to uh, point out, though, you know, I checked out your blog and I listened to your show last week, and, and as I've listened to you today, I do understand why you use that term of, of victims of white white supremacy 
But I, I'm one of those people I choose not to, to for spiritual reasons, uh, call myself a victim of anything. You know, I, I call myself a, a conqueror. You know, I, 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 you know, I come across problems and I try to, to um, conquer them. Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm sorry. I had gotten a, a heard something from Blog Talk Radio System, but I do understand. I do appreciate um, how you defined it today and why you use that term, and also how your guest, you know, had to acknowledge, you know, that it was offensive to him at first, and he wanted you to stop saying it. But then he understands why why you say that because that's making people acknowledge that we, you know, victimization is still going on today. And he was getting ready to before he had to leave, and I was hoping he was going to address the point that we still do have slavery in this country. We still do have slave owners. If you own stock in the privately held prison corporations, then I call you a slaveholder. You're a slave master because you're profiting off of slavery. Mm. Well, yeah, I like I said, I wish he could have uh, stayed a little longer because I would have uh, loved to have given listeners, you could have asked him that yourself and got his response. Like I said, I will try to uh, get him uh, get him back on the show and uh, and see if we can pick right back up where we left off at because uh, he's he's pretty uh, pretty receptive. His his information is on the uh, show page if you want to email him and you know talk to him yourself. He's pretty uh, pretty accept uh, pretty accessible. Uh, to individuals, but definitely I will I will try to get him back so that you know I think that's a very valid point that you just raised. Uh, he even touched on that when he was you know talking on the show about you know the prison system and how non-white mm-hmm. people uh, are criminalized and you know warehoused uh, in you know areas of greater confinement. So I I, I totally uh, agree with you, and uh, and with regards to the victim thing, that's why I brought that up on the show with him. Um, I've heard you know non-white people say you know they don't like the term they uh they feel you know it's limiting in some way as i explained on the show today i just uh, i feel like uh i feel like honesty is needed you know we we black people talk a lot about the truth will set you free i feel like if we just tried that let's just try being as honest as possible about what is happening to us on this planet that is dominated by white supremacy if we just tried that maybe we can make a little progress and i feel like it is telling the truth. When I say I'm a victim of white supremacy, I'm telling the truth. There's nothing I could say that is more accurate or honest to describe my experience and my existence on this planet. And uh, I don't, I don't try and force it on anybody to make them reference themselves as a victim. Uh, that's you right. know. And as I said, Mr. Fuller, this is his concept. He also says, you know, call people by the title that they they want to be called. Uh, but I just, you know, have you? Do you feel like you've been mistreated because you're not white? Oh, definitely. Um, definitely I have. Um, you know, it, it was a job that I had where I was a supervisor of a dye lab for a global uh, corporation. And come to find out, you know, they were bringing people in to work on my shift. I'm supervising them. I'm training them. Uh, come to find out that some of these people were brought in being paid more than me. And wow. they did not even have the same experience that I had. They did not have the educational level that I had. So what was I left with to to uh, deduce from what was going on other than they were white and I was black? So, yes, wow. I've been a victim of, of, of white supremacy. Wow. Wow. 
that I think a ton of non-white people can completely relate to what you just described in terms of being on a job and either not being paid the same amount as a white person or uh, white people coming in who didn't have as much experience, uh, didn't have as much knowledge, and those white people ended up getting promotions and raises and moving right on up the ladder, and a non-white person is sitting there trying to figure out what happened. Uh, I think a ton of non-white people can relate to that experience. And, and I, I mean, that's one of the places, I don't know what your experience has been, but mine has been the job. That is the place where racism is at its worst, because, I mean, that power dynamic, I mean, you talk about slavery. That is where it can be at its worst, because you really feel like often that you don't really have recourse, like you don't really uh, you don't really know what to do in that, in that uh, environment where you feel like you're being mistreated, and it probably is racism, but you kind of feel like you don't know what to do. Like, how did you, how did you uh, attempt to solve that problem that you faced in the workplace? Well, I attempted to use the system which was under going through the uh, Equal Employment, uh, not the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, but uh, what is it? It's the uh, place you go to file complaints of, of discrimination. It's a federal bureau. Mm-hmm. I can't recall the name right now, but it's a federal bureau, and um, and then there's a political aspect which your uh, guest touched on at the beginning of the show when you asked him how does he define white and then he you know wanted to talk about the political aspects of knowing that you're white but that is one of the ways what what happened under the bush administration it really started under the reagan administration is they started putting in place uh laws and rules for these agencies that that are supposed to um address these type of issues but made it harder for you to prove you know, that you've been discriminated against. And so, you know, I took my emails, um, you know, I took all of my documentation. I, I took all my documentation to these people, and these were black people that I were talking to working for this agency, and they were telling me, you know, I didn't have enough evidence. I mean, what other evidence do you need to have other than these people are working under me, I'm training them, I'm in a position of authority over them, but they're being paid more than me. I mean, what other evidence do you need? Hmm. And so because of, 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 you know, when you look at the political aspects and a lot of what the uh, conservative party does, and when I say conservative party, what they're trying to do is conserve the, uh, or, or, yeah, conserve elements of white supremacy. When they talk about social conservatism, and I hate to hear a black person talk about they're a social conservative because that's exactly what they're doing. They're helping to uphold the system of white supremacy. So that's how I try to address it, by going through the proper legal channels. And, you know, they didn't address it at all. They told me I had no case. And so um, then what they tried to do was try to set me up on my job to reprimand me uh, for certain things and then, you know, wanted me to sign on to it you know, get me to sign something saying, yes, I did this or yes, I did that, and I wouldn't do it, and I lost my job as a, as a result. And, and so, you know, I, I just believe that sometimes you just have to stand on principle, and that is one of the areas why non-whites suffer so much is because of the economic slavery they have us in, you know. So I've said a lot. <laughs> oh, hey, it's, 
this is uh, the type of setup uh, I try and have for my show. Uh, Racism Non-Anonymous, like I said, I'm going to be on her show as well. She also tries to do the same thing in terms of giving non-white people, uh, victims of white supremacy, uh, a platform to kind of uh, voice, you know, grievances and, and to kind of share incidents where they have been mistreated. Um, I, I know personally, I think uh, another thing that maintains a system of white supremacy is that the victims don't talk about it and they don't talk about when they are mistreated. So mm-hmm. it kind of fuels this denial on non-white people like, oh, okay, well, racism doesn't really exist where if you had these types of programs and if you had just, even if you didn't have these programs, but if you just had non-white people talking and sharing, you know, hey, these white people that I suspect could be racist did such and such and such if these types of conversations were happening and we were kind of strategizing about ways to solve these problems and go at it, I think we can make a lot of progress as opposed to, you know, just getting upset about it and victimizing each other or kicking the dog or, you know, doing drugs and all the other things that we do as opposed to just being honest and making an effort to to solve problems on this. Uh, So I I, I definitely think it's everything you just said right on point, and and I would encourage, uh, like I said, I would encourage you if you think, you know, this type of, of program is constructive, share, and uh, and there are other programs. Like I said, Mr. Edward Williams, uh, his website, counter-racism.com, is, is designed to do this exact thing. He has uh, counter-racism radio running 24-7. Uh, they actually have programs that address specifically how to deal with racism on the job and giving out specific strategies that, you know, you can think about and see if it might work for you and, you know, just trying to problem solve around dealing with racism on the job. Uh, The code.net, they also, that's a form where you can post questions and and talk to other people about different problems and things like that. So, um, yeah, I would just say try and share information and and get more people involved. That's, you know, Mm -hmm. what I'm trying to do uh, to replace white supremacy with justice. Um, Yeah. If you uh, if you have another thought, I want to check the uh, check the switchboard really quick. Make sure I don't have any callers. Sure. If you uh, have something else you want to share, um, yeah, I just say you know I'm glad that you joined our network. I have strategically set that network up and it's plugged into other uh, networks and, and other systems to where you will get a lot of exposure uh, to your show. Um, you know, if you do that, if you just keep posting it, uh, cause for example, we're very plugged into the widget box network, which gets uh, about 356,000 views per day. So wow. when you post your, when you post your shows in our event section, when you post stuff in our blogs, it's going out to these other networks that I have plugged in into. Um, and I think your show is a very important one. I find it to be very constructive. I don't see it as a show to where you're just getting on here whining about, you know, victimization, but you're actually trying to uh, come up with solutions and and address these issues in an honest and constructive manner. So I I really appreciate your show, and I'm glad I tuned in today. Wow. Like like I said, that means a lot. I greatly appreciate you calling in and listening to the show. Uh, I'm glad I joined the network. Like I said, that was real real. I just joined a couple days ago. Uh, I will definitely continue to uh, to post my shows there. I will check out your broadcast as well on uh, on Blog Talk. Um, I, man, I'm, I'm very appreciative that you uh, that you called in today. I thank you for your compliments. Um, I hope the shows will continue to be constructive. If they're not, let me know what I'm doing incorrect, and and I'll try and correct the problem. Um, 
I'm gonna check my switchboard, but I will definitely uh, I will definitely be in touch with you uh, after I get off the show for sure. I'll definitely be in touch okay. uh, from Black. All Talk. right. I appreciate you calling in, my man. I really do. All right. You have a good day. I thank you, sir. You too. Um, for everybody out there, I'm gonna check the uh, switchboard, make sure I don't have any other callers. If I don't, I want to thank my man Scotty for calling in. I appreciate his uh, his compliments. That means a lot. Um, I'm going to check the switchboard. If I have any other callers, I'll get them. If not, I will get ready to get out of here so I can prep for my later show and I can take a little nap in between time. Nine five four, are you there? I'm here. Greetings, how are you doing? I'm wonderful. Can you tell me your name? Because I came in late. Oh yeah, uh, my name is Gus. Context of white supremacy, the cows. That's the name of the show. Uh, my uh, host name is Victim of Racism. Okay. Uh, well, I just want to say something that has been said many times: that we uh, cannot be oppressed without our permission. And uh, we live in America, which is a capitalist society, meaning that it's a free enterprise society. And every time a person of color or a person of non-color, if you know what I mean, takes a job, they are uh, commissioning themselves to the person that hires them or the company that hires them. There was a book, a long a play, a long time ago called A Day of Absence. Do you remember that? Uh, when black, you never heard of that. Okay, when black people didn't go to work for the day in, I think it was Atlanta, Georgia, and they didn't tell anybody they weren't coming to work. They just didn't show up, and. You know, Massa and Miss Ann had to figure out what to do with the babies and what to do with the food for the day because they didn't have the the maids there to take care of them and the butler and the gardener, blah, blah. So I suggest that rather than be a victim, you take control of your life. So many people have been laid off in the last year. What are those people doing? They have to be creative about their finances, and it's really a good thing. I'm a musician, and in America, musicians have to be creative financially every single month just to pay their bills. So now everyone has been reduced to an artist in America. That means all the people that have been laid off, you know, because there are white slaves too. There are Asian slaves. There are Native American slaves. All of us who work for the system to some extent are slaves. So you now have an opportunity to create your own means or mechanism of making an income. We may have to go back to the barter system, but as long as we accept the position of slave, of uh, oppressed, 
um, depressed, repressed, whatever that. We will be that. The universe gives us what we ask the universe to give us. So I suggest that we change our minds and let our behinds follow. Do you get what I'm saying? Well, um, I guess let me ask. I have taken the position that we are in a system of racism, white supremacy, that is designed to oppress and mistreat everyone who is classified as not white. Um, do you believe that such a system exists? I believe that this system existed up until uh, people began to become conscious that they could change the system. And that was what this whole presidential campaign was about, change. But one man can't change the system. It takes everyone changing the system. If you remember from your history, Juneteenth is there because when the slaves were given their freedom, a certain group of slaves didn't get the word for like 25 days or whatever it was. And they didn't know they were free. Well, I think that that's true with a lot of people on the planet because don't forget, don't forget, there are a lot of white slaves too. We have to remember slavery can be a state of mind. You can be free, but you think that you are still enslaved. Therefore, you are still enslaved. So I suggest that you change your mind about slavery. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that you can be free today or today. You can. You can't be free until you change your mind. Okay. I, uh, I just wanted to be clear. Um... As I said, I have come to the conclusion that we are under a system of white supremacy. Are you saying that that system does exist or does not exist? I'm saying that the system has existed and that there is a group of people on the planet who have decided that that system should no longer exist. Which group do you prefer to belong to? Okay, I see. You have a choice. We are made in the image and likeness of our creator who has given us free choice. Now, I'm not trying to be religious or biblical. Each individual has choices. Which do you choose? Do you choose change or do you choose the antiquated system that of white supremacy, you see, because the system of white supremacy is based upon the divide and conquer theory. The system of change is based upon free will. Okay. Which do you choose to adopt? You have a choice. I still haven't got, uh, I still don't have an understanding of whether or not you believe the system of racism, white supremacy is in existence at this moment. I okay, 
Have you seen all of the white people that have come down in the last year? Come down. Madoff was just brought to his knees for 13 years. He used the money of Jewish people and didn't return that money to them. They brought him down. Karl Rove is about to come down. George Bush is over. Now, are you going to linger and wallow in their mess, or are you going to use your God-given right to change the mess? That's what I'm saying. Of course the system existed. For 400 years, people were oppressed by by bullets and ropes and fire and stupidity. Do we have to linger there, or can we accept that there is a point of change. Yes, the system existed. No, it doesn't have to continue. Okay. Um, I just I want to be very clear. You're saying it existed. It doesn't have to continue. I still have not got an answer as to whether or not it exists now. Now, if you do not believe the system of white supremacy exists currently, that is totally cool. That is your view. Everybody, you know, has their own opinion. I have taken the position that the system of racism, white supremacy, not only exists as a global enterprise designed to mistreat everyone that the white people who practice white supremacy classify as not white, I have taken the position that this is the dominant system on the planet this is the dominant force amongst people and this is the number one problem that needs to be addressed that is blocking the establishment of justice now not everyone agrees with that and that's fine that's the position that I have taken and that is what that is the principal idea behind my show and my efforts in working to replace white supremacy with justice. Um, okay, now let me give you my perspe- perspective. I am the founder of Women in Jazz South Florida. I have a radio show on Block Talk Radio every Wednesday from 6 to 8 called Music Woman Live okay. uh, to, to bring out the music of women who compose and perform their own music. Why? Because women oh, have marginalized. Women have been marginalized. Ma'am, 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 wait a minute. I'm sorry for interrupting you. Real important. Are you a white person or a non-white person? I'm a non-white person. Oh, I'm sorry for interrupting you. Can you, you keep, uh, keep continue with what you were saying, please? I'm yes. Sorry. So the reason why I have this program is because women have been marginalized traditionally by the male-dominant culture. Okay? That means black men, white men, all men in the music industry marginalize women in music. I'm not having it no more. But if I didn't identify the problem, I couldn't find a solution to the problem. You have identified the problem of the white paradigm, and you are looking for a solution to the problem. I'm suggesting yes, there is this situation on the planet. And I am suggesting that the solution comes with a change of mind. 
So we are in agreement. I am not disagreeing with you, but I am offering a solution. And that solution is? Change your mind, and yeah, we'll follow. Not just you, not just you alone, but many people, all the people that feel oppressed, they need to change their mind and, and, and go toward, lean towards their God-given right for the pursuit of happiness, for joy, for abundance, those things. Change your mind. That's all I'm saying. Change your mind. You know, yeah, and and I believe that it's important that what you're doing. Otherwise, I wouldn't be wasting my time talking to you, because I believe what I saw was, you know, the the white. What was it? The white state of. I was on my blog talk radio, fixing, you know, my 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 site, and I came across your site. You see what I'm saying? Yes, See how that works? Mm. So, you know, in, in, in the universe's infinite wisdom, I was brought to you to say we can change this, and we may have to change this together. You see what I'm saying? Yes, ma'am. But I'm willing to, to help, you know, you change that. Mm. I'm willing Oh, well, you we see, I if I can help, give I can assistance, get. I'm Diva JC, okay? Diva yes, JC, Google me. Diva JC? Yes. Okay. Diva JC, Google me. I'm on Blog Talk Radio. I'm on 65 Ning Networks. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the web diva. <laughs> yes. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. And I, you know Jerry Butler? Yes, yes, I do. Yes. I've heard him several times. Jerry had me, you know, on his show, uh, and I'm telling you that, you know, I'm a woman that we can have this conversation, we can bring some more people, uh, you know, we we can we can change this together. That's what I'm saying. I'm in agreement. I am in we agreement. can change this together. You can say, I, I don't know if I set your, um, you know, your show right now as my favorite, but let's keep talking. You know, write down my email. Tell me what you're doing. Let's talk about this because I have these conversations with black women all the time. Black women in America are on the lowest rung of the ladder. Okay, and we have to change that paradigm. And we can only do it together. You know, black men have to understand that they have cohorted with black, with white men and white women to keep black women down. And they don't even know they've done that. <laughs> okay? They don't even know that they've done that. And until your woman is free, you can't be free. Mm. I, I definitely agree that uh, I think non-white people 
male and female could do a much better job of uh not mistreating one another and could be much more uh much more respectful in how we treat each other. As I said, I'm doing second show today on non white people mistreating other non white people. So I, I definitely agree. I definitely think uh non white people do a job on each other, uh and that is a key component of why the system of white supremacy uh continues to victimize uh non white people worldwide. So I'm in agreement. Um Diva JC, that was what you said, right? That's who I am. Diva JC. Um, when is your show on Blog Talk Radio again? Wednesdays from 6 to 8. And I have women of all persuasions, okay, all persuasions, not just black women, because women are traditionally marginalized in the music. You can't name uh, three classical female composers. You know, I can name more R&B, sisters in R&B, than I can name white women in classical music. You know, so there's a huge problem on this planet. (laughs) You know, and we all have to come to equity. You see? Yes, ma'am. And I am here for you. You understand? I am a wise woman because I study human behavior. I'm a musician. I've been around the world. I performed in China, in Japan, Europe, Africa, South America, Mexico, all over the United States. Google me. Know who I am and understand that I'm your sister in this. Okay. Otherwise, I wouldn't be on here. And talk to Jerry Butler. About me. I know Mr. Call Butler. him up. I know Mr. Butler. And ask him about Diva Jay-Z. You know, and I'm not ego-tripping here. I'm a voice for the goddess. That's who I am. And until the goddess is restored to her rightful place on this planet, we will have strife. Now, can you get to that? I am, uh, unfortunately, very familiar with strife, and uh, as I said, whole purpose. Why are you familiar with the goddess, though? I'm trying to get familiar with justice. If the goddess Uh help us. Well, justice, the the symbol for justice is a woman with a blindfold on holding the scales. You see, but the biggest problem that we have on the planet, not just in America, is the treatment of women. And as long, just like Whoopi Goldberg said in um, The Color Purple, as long as you treat me the way you do, you will never have any good luck. And that's the truth. If I mistreat somebody, I'll never have good luck. If you mistreat somebody, you'll never have good luck. And as long as men treat women the way that they do and women treat men the way that they do, none of us will have any luck. We have to begin to love each other. And this has been the message since the beginning of time. Why does it take human beings so long to wake up to the fact that they God having a human experience? There can be no justice until we embrace our God selves, until we realize that we need each other. We're all parts of the same 
puzzle. You get my drift? You you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand the words coming out of my mouth? I hear you <laughs> loud and clear, DV. Okay. You said you uh, are informed. You said you are working in this together. I'm going to Google you. You are going to get an email from me today, and I will uh, see if we uh, can work together. Might be able to help you. You might be able to help me uh, in a constructive manner. I will email you before the day is out. See if we. And it's DivaJC47 at Yahoo.com. DivaJC47 at Yahoo.com. That's right. Groovy. I will email you uh, probably. And I'm on my way out the door. I'm going to a script writing uh, workshop in Miami. I live in Fort Lauderdale. And uh, I'm learning how to write a script so I can write a script for the Oprah Winfrey Network on women in jazz. Oprah, is Oprah Winfrey a person of color? There's a question. You know, we got so many people out here who say that they're black, and they ain't black. You know, they catered to the white community more than the white community caters to the white community. When, do, when have you seen her have a sister on there, you know, that's, that, that's doing anything lately? Gail? You know, I mean, we got to call each other out. You know? Well, I... uh I'm very much for if anyone deserves to be called out, the people that I, that I feel are most to blame uh, are the white people who practice racism, white supremacy. So I'm very much, if anyone needs to be called out, we should start at the top and pick out white people that should be called out for mistreating non-white people by a system of racism, white supremacy. I, uh, I don't really uh, encourage or condone uh, non-white people uh, calling out other non-white people because I don't really feel like non-white people are in control or in charge of anything under the system of white supremacy. So I wouldn't necessarily condone or encourage anyone calling out Oprah Winfrey or any other non-white person. Uh, as I said, as Mr. Jensen said earlier, the problem is white people. I wholeheartedly encourage non-white people call out white people. That that is my uh, Viva JC Okay, let me just respond to what you just said, because my daily activity doesn't include a lot of white people. I I operate uh, two businesses, a nonprofit and a for-profit, and I'm generally around black people, and those people are the ones that give me the most trouble. You know, so white people are generally supporting what I do. Okay, so we might we might have to rethink. We can't just put all of the eggs in one basket. We have to call out the right people who are doing what they should or shouldn't do. We have to be clear. All white people ain't bad, and all black people ain't white. You know, and it, the world isn't black and white either. The world is not black and white. The world has, there are five colors in the world. And most of us ignore the red people. Most of us ignore the, um, the, the Asian people around us. And Asian people are much more prejudiced than a whole lot of white people. You know, I mean, we have to be real. We live in a very complex world. The world is not black and white. 
that's the biggest problem that we have, that black people think there's only black and white, and white people think there's only black and white, and they don't even take into consideration the brown people, the red people, and the yellow people. I'm not going to, listen, are you there? Yes, ma'am. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, like I said, I've been around the world, you know, I have people on five continents who are friends, and I talk to these people on a daily, weekly basis. And I know some good white people. And I know some really shaky black people. Well, that is certainly uh, your experience, um, and, you know, you're entitled to that. Uh, I am going to check uh check my switchboard because i feel like we've been chatting a lot but i am okay exactly what i said diva jc 47 at yahoo.com i'm gonna do exactly what i said uh, mm -hmm. telling you see if we can do something constructive because you said you two are looking to uh change and establish justice that's what i'm looking to do i will definitely email you i'm gonna check my switchboard really quick if you want to tell uh anyone in the meantime your show again wednesdays from six to eight you said Music Woman, that's right, Music Woman Live, Diva JC. And also there's another woman that I'm going to put in touch with you because you and she are on the same, but she's working for women in color, women of color. You know, you are working for all people of color. Is that correct? Male and female. Non-white victims of white supremacy, yes. Oh, okay. All right. Well, her name is Suzanne Brooks, and she works diligently, diligently for the rights of women of color. So I'm going to put you in touch with each other because you two have the right, you know, you, your energy together could bring, could bring a change, really. We need change. And I'm so happy that Spirit led me to talk to you, Gus. Okay. I appreciate it. I thank you for calling into the show. I will catch you on Wednesday at 6. I will listen to your show. And like I said, you can look out for an email coming to me uh, today. I will email you because I definitely yep. like that constructive information. And send me the link for your show that you're going to do later, and I'll listen to it tonight when I come back in. Will do. Will do. That All right. Great. Thank you so much for calling in. All right. Peace. Peace. Um, that should do it. My uh, time slot is all filled today. Um, going to get my nap now. I'm tired. I want to thank uh, Diva JC for uh, calling for the show, sharing her constructive information. Uh, I did want to make sure that I got that in. I was saying non-white for the duration of the broadcast. Uh, and uh, that that right there, that is a beautiful note to, il to end the show on because that right there, illustrates exactly what I said with Mr. Jensen. Uh, Diva JC said she's non-white. I assume a victim of white supremacy said there are so-called good white people. Uh, and she said we need to call out non-whites. That is the exact pattern that I have seen non-white people conditioned to seek out those so-called good white people, Mr. Jensen said, you should come to the table with the assumption that that white person has no good intentions for you as a non-white person. There should not be an assumption of goodness on the part of any white person until the system of white supremacy has been replaced with a system of justice. Um, and the entire reason I'm doing the second show today about non-white people 
being rewarded and encouraged to mistreat other non-whites, our willingness and the ease with which we will call out, talk bad about, and mistreat other non-whites, but will not do that for white people. That is exactly why I'm doing the second show today. It's actually Racism Not Anonymous, her show. I'm just uh, sharing my views on that. But that is later today, 6 o'clock Eastern Time. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to uh, The Cows. Thank Mr. Uh, Robert Jensen for calling in and sharing constructive information. Thank uh, Scotty for calling in uh, with his kind words. I want to thank Diva JC for calling in uh, and sharing her view. I'm definitely going to get in contact with her. Thank everybody for tuning in the chat room and listening. I uh, hope next time I'll be in front of the computer so I can see what's going on with the chat room specifically. Uh, sorry if I missed any callers. Uh, try again next show if I missed you. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Gus signing out. Again, shout out to my man back in the bus. Uh, check out the site for Neely Fuller. That show should be coming up soon. Uh, again, I want to give a shout out to my man, Anthony Devron Payne Sr. Uh, definitely rest easy. Uh, this is Gus T. Renegade, a.k.a. the legend of John Carter signing out for the cows. Uh, check the rebroadcast on counter-racism.com. Thank you. Uh, we'll catch you next show. Hey, yo, baby, come over here. Let me, let me holler at you for a minute. I am your conscience. Nah, nah, I'm saying for real. Come over here. Nah, for real. Let me, let me holler at you for real. No, no bullshit. I am making a total ass of myself. Fuck it, all right. I am all your right, yo, hey, check it out. Hey, uh, you want to go to Waffle House? Get some food? I just did another pickup line that didn't go well. No. What the fuck you mean, yo? I'm saying, yo, I'm... All right. Maybe I should tell her what a famous rapper yeah. I am. Yeah. That'll get her on my side. I'm Fonte from Little Brother. You heard, you know me, can't stop, won't stop, She's nah, never heard of you. Wow, what a surprise. Right, look, okay, maybe I you get out my side. Right, whatever, fuck, I'm just saying, man, don't, don't let a nigga go home tonight, man. I, I, maybe you should just say something nice to her and wrap it up. I, I mean, I'm just saying, like, you looking good, you know what I'm saying? I, You're not fucking tonight. Don't, yeah. don't let a nigga go home alone yeah. tonight. It, I am your con. Parking lot, pimp. Nine out of ten more parking lot steps. Ladies want lobster, but better both shrimp. The Ken Bay Matumbo blocking all the temps. Niggas ain't pimps, tugging elbows. When you walk by, compliment you on your toes. Heard all the cons now, listen to the pros. When you look good, girl, it's just the way it goes. As if you didn't know, I saw you at the bar. I'm leaning on this Escalade, but it ain't my car. Where you going, recognizing something like a star? My crib down the street, we ain't gotta go far. I know I I sound raw, but I'm just being real. No game's aim is to tell you how I feel. Trying to cop the field. Me and you, backseat. I just want to chill. If looks could kill, first name would be Bill. Out on a Friday night. Big smile, the flashing light. Already all the lonely people go and the party's over. Everybody is your friend. I hope this never ends. Cause I don't know.
the milk's gone bad, the bees flew south, the honey's all gone, and the birds talking about, they ain't hanging out, cause they gotta go to work, one just had a daughter, one gotta go to church, I think I need... With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking, uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.